Good morning, everyone. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. Uh, it happened to me again this week. Every few months, scammers send emails in my name to various people. Maybe you've had this happen to you. It seems like uh, they come in, they kind of scrape the data off of our website, they figure out who is who, uh, and so people will get an email from Pastor Rob McCord, and it'll say uh, that I need some gift cards from you, or perhaps I need you to uh, call me back as soon as possible, and on and on and on. So let me just say right now, I don't need any gift cards. Thank you, though, for the thought, uh, and uh, just be warned about that. It happens every now and then. It's inconvenient, but it also kind of burns me a little bit because identity is important. And the idea that you all might be getting emails from me, and there's my name, sometimes my picture from our staff page on our website, it's just not cool, right? Because identity is important. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and in this series, identity, who we are, and specifically who we are as a church. What we do flows from who we are, or at least it always should, and who we are should flow from who Jesus is and what Jesus teaches. And so we're going to spend this month doing my absolute favorite thing, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus. We're going to hear a couple of his stories, a couple more of his conversations, and we're going to hear them specifically through this lens and this question, who are we as a church? as people who call Outlook our church home. What we're going to see throughout the month is a four different things that we see from Jesus about what the, the kind of people that Jesus' followers should be. Two of them will come to the fore this morning. We are people who live and worship genuinely. We are people who invite and welcome joyfully. Zach Leslie, our next-gen student minister, got us off to a great start last Sunday. So I want to thank him for his excellent sermon. If you were here, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here, you can still jump online and catch it. Did a great job getting 2023 off to a great start for us by his time sharing the word with us. And here's what I hope and pray happens in this series. If you're new to us here, I hope you'll get to know us like just exponentially better. You'll really start to get a sense of who this church is and what we're all about and the kind of people we're all aiming to be. And if you're not so new, maybe you've been around here a few years or even a few decades, I hope you'll begin to feel new here again. A renewed vision for what all of this means to be a local church, a, a new energy regarding what all of that can contain. I know that for me in my own time with the Lord lately, the Lord's been reminding me of my first love for him and that first fire that he put in me. It's good to be reminded of our first priorities, right? Our first things, reminded of who we are. And that's what we're going to begin doing this morning. So scripturally, we're going to be today in John chapter 4. We're going to encounter Jesus as he's going from one city to Another, let's jump right in at verse 3. He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, John tells us. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. 
it was about noon. We got a time, we got a place, we got the character here in Jesus, and we're about to meet another. Jesus is traveling from one place to another, and we're told that he goes to a region called Samaria. Now, there's a lot to this. If you've been around Outlook, I've certainly touched on this story more than a couple of times over the last 20 years, and I'm touching on it again today, and I'm happy to do so because it is rich, but I've never looked at this story through the lens of who we are to be as a church, and I think there's a lot there for us. First observation is the fact that Jesus is in Samaria. What does that mean uh, to us? Well, let's go back to hearing what it meant for the original people of Jesus' time. The Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. Jewish people, the nation of Israel, Samaria, Samaria, Samaria was a region within Israel. So they were surrounded by Jewish folks who did not care much for them at all. The Israelites uh, knew who to be against, quote-unquote, in their culture, and it was the Samaritans. Genealogically, they were really distant cousins. But way back in the past, ancestors of the Samaritans had intermarried with Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and so that stirred up all kinds of racial and ethnic hatred. Always a bad thing, always straight from the pit of darkness. Jews considered Samaritans their enemies then. There was nothing worse than a Samaritan, being with a Samaritan, or tolerating Samaritans. Yet Jesus is actively ignoring all of that. This is what you got to love about Jesus. All that stuff, just noise to him. Walks right past it, actively ignores it. Now he had to go through Samaria. Culturally, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Jews didn't do that. They avoided Samaria. Geographically, he didn't have to go through Samaria. There were other well-worn paths to get to Galilee where he was headed. But Jesus, we read here, had to go through Samaria. Why? Samaritans were rejected and ridiculed and relegated to the sidelines of faith. Maybe you've, at some point in your life, felt exactly that way. Like that whole faith in God thing, that's probably not for me. I'm outside of that. I'm not going to really be accepted into that. Not according to Jesus. Jesus, and I love the idea that he actively ignores, right? He doesn't just ignore it, he actively ignores it. In other words, he goes against it, walks right into Samaria. Jesus wants to walk right into your life and mine. You may try to count yourself out. Jesus never will. Amen? Samaritans, this was their lot, and that's where he had to go. Because that's what love does. It brings people together, not keeps them apart. Plenty of things in our world today keeping people apart, keeping us even maybe from inviting and welcoming because we're just not sure if there'd be an acceptance. Maybe others, or maybe you're here today and you're having a hard time accepting the idea that an invitation, a welcome, is really for you. I want you to know it is. Outlook, let's be like Jesus and actively ignore the things that society says should keep people apart or against each other. And instead, let's be people who bring others together and toward Jesus. Amen? Verse 7, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Jesus hanging out at this well. He said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, John adds, do not associate with Samaritans. 
Realize what Jesus has done here. Jews wouldn't even drink after Samaritans, and he's asking her for a drink. Now, she gets this. She knows the rules. There are categories here. Don't you realize this, Jesus? I love the fact that Jesus, in his single question, has crossed two boundaries. That by his day, the standards of his day, he shouldn't cross. She was both a Samaritan and a woman. And she says so right there, her first words. I am a Samaritan uh, woman. He is about to share deeply spiritual truth with this woman. And he's going to empower her to share it with others. He is bucking every cultural norm of his day. And this should speak volumes to us on this subject. Don't get me started on how much, church, uh, how much the church has across history missed this and ignored or even deprecated the voice, the gifts, the experiences of women and made itself a male-dominated organization instead of a spirit-led movement. But that's a sermon for another day, one I'll gladly share with you any day of the week. But suffice to say, this area right here, that we're watching Jesus walk right past, we're walking, watching Jesus lean into a conversation with this woman, this is another area where the church had the ch- has always had the chance to be more like Jesus and lead culture by eradicating the disparities constructed between men and women instead of just simply mimicking culture. That's certainly what we strive to do here at Outlook, follow Jesus in this way. Now, Jesus answered her, if you knew who I was, I would have get, I would, you would have asked me for living water, he says. And she responds, where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water, referring to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, Jesus is using the well and the water at hand as an object lesson of what life in him is like. And he's sharing this with her. It's like a spring inside you, welling up so that you'll never be spiritually thirsty again. What this tells me when I think about the kind of church that we are always aiming to be is we're a church that remembers everyone is thirsty. You know, physically speaking, it's easy to get dehydrated and not even realize it, right? Maybe you go most of your day and realize, man, I've barely drunk any water at all, and and that can kind of sneak up on us. Well, spiritually speaking, it's easy to get dehydrated, dried out in this world that we live in and in our day-to-day lives. And whether people are fully cognizant of it or not, because like I said, it can be easy to miss, Dehydration spiritually is a common thing for people to face. Everyone is thirsty. We have the chance to offer this living water, as Jesus puts it, which is a way of speaking of life in him. So as a church, as a congregation, as a collection, a family of people, we're simply folks who've discovered a good and pure well that never runs dry. More than a well, Jesus says, a spring And so when people say, whether out loud or just from the depths of their own hearts, I am drawing from all this world's wells, and I'm coming up dry. 
I'm still spiritually thirsty. We are a church that feels that pain, that loss, that search. We understand. We've been there. Thank God we're just simply people who've realized how much we need him. And we've discovered that well. We love him for providing it. We're spiritual beings, first to last. And we need connection to the one who decided that we should exist at all. You're here. You exist because God decided you exist. And he loves you every moment of that existence. So Jesus is speaking about life in him. Certainly the Holy Spirit soon to be poured out is the way the Bible describes that. That's the kind of living water that we get to receive to keep the metaphor going. Now what comes next is an amazing conversation between the two of them. They speak about worship and spiritual matters. He also knows knows that she needs to meet the Messiah. That's who he is. They talk about her life, difficult as it was. The conversation even gets a little awkward at moments, but definitely if you read through it, and I only have so many minutes today, so I'll let you read that portion yourself, but he's definitely saying to this woman, I see you. I'm with you. I'm not ignoring you like most everyone else might. It's really a very tender conversation. See, women were sadly powerless and at the mercy and whim of men in Jesus' day and time. Her story reflected that reality, and Jesus is demonstrating that he was not like those men. So she feels safe. And the subject matter begins to deepen and broaden. And she brings up some questions, an old argument between the Samaritans and Jewish folks about which mountain is the holy one made to be the right place, quote-unquote, for worship. But Jesus doesn't indulge in these old paradigms. The modern-day equivalent of her question is kind of like when people might ask, which church has better worship? What kind of question is that, right? Verse 23, Jesus cuts to the chase and says this, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth, using that phrase twice here. And and it's right here that Jesus is teaching us a ton about who we are to be as a church, people who live and worship genuinely out of who we are. Because Jesus is always about busting up our religious bad habits and fallbacks and instead pressing us into the deeper, more real, more personal realities. You have a father who loves you. Worship him from your own heart, right, in spirit and in truth. What counts in worship is not method or place, but heart and soul, as Jesus puts it, spirit and truth. That's why we as a church see our time together each Sunday as a chance to genuinely express our love, our thanks, our devotion to the Lord. It is an experience worth making a priority. You know, as a pastor, right, I I read a lot of stuff about 
church, the church in North America and different trends, and certainly over the last few years, uh, it's become a normal headline to talk about declining church attendance, right? And even, even folks who are regular attenders might come once a month, once every couple months, and that's now the, the kind of the norm of regular church attendance. Friends, I'm asking you to buck that trend, because God has established something for us. It is a gift to us. Every seven days, the chance to gather together and love each other and in that love express our worship to the one who loves us and who's made such a difference in our lives, the one who saved our soul. It is a gift. I'm going to ask you to strongly and prayerfully consider in 2023 making church attendance a priority in your life. Not because it's going to make something better around here or there's some goal in my head that I've got. I don't. I know it's best for all of us as disciples of Jesus. And that's what we want. That's our number one priority here at Outlook. That you are growing as a disciple of Jesus. And when we worship together each Sunday, when we get the chance to sing and pray in a way that we were just led to minutes ago, these folks up here, are our brothers and sisters gifted with excellent gifts and talents to lead us well in singing and praying? Ours has always been a singing faith throughout church history. But friends, this is never a concert to watch, put on in order to impress you enough to come back next Sunday. Instead, it is a space in which we worship wholeheartedly, honestly, in spirit, and in truth. And we are embarrassingly blessed with great people who lead us in this way. Genuinely. Genuinely. By the way, please continue to pray as we continue to search for our next worship arts minister. We have, over the last several months, met and interviewed a wide variety of great individuals and have made uh, and even have a few great applicants right now that we're going to be meeting in the next week or two. And we're trusting the Lord to provide in his timing. So please continue to pray for that. Sunday morning, what we get to experience here is a gift. But it's also just the crescendo of our worship. Worship, ultimately, is a life. It's expressed in our living. This, too, is contained in Jesus' words. True worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. It flows, again, out of who we are. His followers picked up on this when they exhorted Christians in their letters. Here's just one of a few different examples that I could offer. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says this to his readers, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, when Paul talks about giving our body, what he's saying is our whole selves, your body and all you do with it and in it, right? Which is where we live, right? We live with our body in, through, and through our body. So whatever we're doing with our lives, we're doing with our bodies. He's saying give it all without exception. Ours is not a disembodied faith as if, oh, the spiritual is somewhere out there in the clouds and then there's day-to-day -day earth. No, our faith is one that's grounded and rooted in our day-to-day living. Worship from there, Paul says. I've always loved the message paraphrase of this 
verse because it really captures the original idea so well. He says, there, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Again, worship is not hype. It's not a competition between churches of who has the best light shows or smoke machines or overall production value or who looks best on Instagram. Worship flows from a people bound together by love for each other and love for the Lord who they decided to joyfully give their lives to. I'm going to say that one one more time. Worship flows from a people. Someone say, a people. That's us. Worship flows from a people bound together by love for each other and love for the Lord that they've decided to joyfully give their lives to. It is a heartfelt and honest overflow of living with him. Back to our conversation between Jesus and the woman. She says, I I know that Messiah called Christ is coming When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I love that summary of who the Messiah is. He's the one who's going to explain everything to us. Things will make sense when he's around. When I draw near to him, I'll begin to see things more clearly. He will explain everything. Then Jesus declared, "Uh, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm the guy. I'm that one that you're talking about. He's right here. It's, It's me. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out from the town, it says, and made their way toward him. you got to love her courage. Here we get to see we are people who have come near to Jesus or perhaps are coming near. Check it out, what it means to follow Jesus. But when I see someone who comes near Jesus, I want to see how they React because they're going to teach me something. And watch what she does. Her courage, her transparency. She says something that I can also say. Here's what Jesus has done for me. And this is what he means to me. Come and see, she says. She shares her story. I have no trouble saying that an invitation to church is a powerful step toward an introduction to Jesus. She is going to folks and simply saying, come and see what I've discovered. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. I or you might be able to say, come see the one, come learn about this Jesus who healed me from all those wrong ways of thinking. Come meet and learn about the one who guided me and gave me purpose when I felt as lost as ever. You've got your own story. There are hundreds of them within our church. Inviting people just to hear that, come and see, is a powerful thing. Our staff has done a really great job. Maybe you've noticed uh, as you walk out the front doors this morning, if you look to your right, there's a a wall there with uh, some cards that you can use to invite people to church. You are welcome, valued, uh, loved and valued here. And there's just these great things that you can grab and use, write a note on the back, you name it, and invite people to come to church with you. You can also go to the URL that's listed up at the top of that board, outlookchurch.org slash invite. There are digital versions of the things you see uh, there as well that you can use on social media and on and on. Tools to invite people to church. Don't underestimate. We can't underestimate the value 
of a simple invitation to church, come and see what's made such a difference in my life. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. Because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So she, without hesitation, invites others, shares her encounter, her experience, her story. And all of it, and it's all good now, even the bad parts. And there were bad parts, but they're all good now, thanks to Jesus. They're redeemed, they're given meaning, and they're put behind her. We are a church, or at least we strive to be a church, that's genuine and real enough to accept us all, whatever we've done, whatever we're going through or have gone through, that we're welcomed and invited into God's story. It says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed a couple of days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. See, this is the way it works. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Friends, he really is. He really is the Savior of the world. This truth that we have, it really is that good, that worthwhile, that shareable, that life-changing. And this really is the way it happens. Come and see. Go and tell. So let's live and worship genuinely. Jesus certainly teaches us that here. Let's invite and welcome joyfully. Friends, we're not in Sychar. We're in McCordsville and Fortville, New Powell and Lawrence and Pendleton and Fishers and Indy and Greenfield. And through us, Jesus gets near to so many people. They can be invited and welcomed into his life and truth. And from that truth, we learn what worship really is. Watch how Jesus interacts with this woman. Hear what he says about worship. Ask how we can live this out as his people, not only as individuals, but as a local church. When I look and listen and ask those questions, if I were to sum up what we've seen here this morning, here's one way I would do it when I think about who we are to be as a local body of believers, as a church family. I would say that we are allergic to phony, to heavy, and to scary. Let me explain. At Outlook, you never have to be someone you're not. No one here is pretending to be perfect or should feel the need to wear a mask with a smile or project an image that everything is just fine. It's okay to not be okay. We know life can be a struggle and that there is not a one of us who's batting a thousand, not even close. So we are not about being phony, false, or fake. Heavy is also not our jam. Because it isn't the way Jesus approached things either. Religion can get good at making this whole thing about managing our behaviors, keeping the rules, and walking the line. But at one point, Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day that they were tying up heavy loads and making following God a burden on people's backs. But he said his way is light. So we commit ourselves to simply living for and learning from Jesus and enjoying this and letting him grow and change us by his spirit. And scary doesn't get us very far either. Religion and church and preachers can lean into fear all too often. 
I can't tell you how many people I've sat with who describe their decisions to say yes to Jesus earlier in their lives as simply not wanting to go to hell. They were made to be afraid of what would happen if they didn't walk down the aisle and pray a prayer. Instead of hearing an invitation to grace, forgiveness, and abundant, the abundant life of love and purpose that Jesus provides. We're allergic to phony, heavy, and scary. If the kind of church I'm describing is the kind of church you'd like to learn more about or be a part of, let me invite you to something we're calling Membership FAQ. Perhaps among all your New Year's goals or resolutions, let me add the idea of being planting your roots in a church family as being a really worthwhile one. It's the first Sunday in February, right after second service. Light lunch, child care on us. It's just going to be a nice, casual 45 minutes or so to talk about what it means to join a local church and to join our church. What we do, we said at the beginning, flows from who we are. And who we are should flow from who Jesus is and what Jesus teaches. So who are we as a church? What do we see here today? We are a people who invite and welcome joyfully. We reach out in love. We are a people who live and worship genuinely. We reach up to the one who loves us. This is our outlook. Every week we also choose here at Outlook to take the bread and the cup. I'd invite you to grab yours if you have some with you. There's more at the table in the back. Every week we remind ourselves of who we are. When we take the bread, we remember Jesus' body broken for us. Every week we know that what this means is we are loved. That's who we are. We are loved by God, loved so much that he would give, us, give his life for us. So in that knowledge and that reminder of our being loved, let's take and eat together. And when we take the cup, we are again reminded of what love is, what love is about, and the sacrifice, the pouring out that love required from Jesus. It's the same love that's now asked of us, a love that pours itself out. So as we receive this gift, we also commit ourselves to being people who will love the way Jesus loved, inviting, welcoming, and caring for others the way he did. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this invention that you have called the church. This idea of, of, a, of a family that we are brothers and sisters and that we are your children and you are our parent, our father. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for this gift of the church. We ask God that you would help us here as, as a local church family to become the people that we have all the potential to be, that that we would love each other deeply and that we would love those that we get to meet just as deeply and that we would worship you wholeheartedly. God, we thank you for the fact that, that that worship flows from who we are. Regardless of anything else that's going on in our lives, we can always worship you. And it's so rich to do that together. And so, Lord, even in this last song we're about to sing, let us just with joy and enthusiasm embrace the idea that you are our Lord and we will follow you. We'll follow you anywhere. You're worth it to us. You're everything to us. You've changed and redeemed and saved our lives. 
We thank you for that. We're happy to declare it in worship in Jesus' name. Amen.